0: Hi, I'm Katherine Flashner, and welcome to The Truth Is, a podcast dedicated to speaking the truth, the truths of who we are, what we experience, and what we dream of. Our goal here is twofold. The first order of business is to unpack why we historically and in so many spaces today don't speak our truth. Why do we hide who we really are? Why do we doubt what we go through? Why do we hesitate to take up more space in the world? From that awareness, we'll next discover what happens when we do share our truth. What happens to us, those around us, and to our community at large. My hope is that you walk away from these stories and conversations with a sense of strength and responsibility to speak more boldly and truthfully at home, at work, and in all facets of your life. Welcome to The Truth Is. Hi, everyone. Happy Friday from my sofa slash podcast studio. Welcome to episode two. I'm so excited to have my dear friend, Madrula Menon, joining me today. She's strategically the first guest. I sometimes say she's a muse for this podcast. Reason being, she for me is one of the most powerful examples of what it means to go from hiding your experience to owning it and sharing it. Aside from being so full of wisdom and levity, Madrula has a really meaningful story to unpack and to share. So today we're going to talk about Madrula's experience of being a divorcee in a culture of arranged marriage and how she went from hiding it to owning it. And I want to give you a little lay of the land to ground you in Madrula's story. Madrula was born and raised in Bangalore, India. And at 21, she was married. And her, with her then husband, came to the U.S. for the very first time Landing in JFK. In her own words, she said her marriage blew up immediately just as she arrived, and she found herself in an abusive and dangerous situation. She was officially back in India not six months later and found herself going through and finalizing a divorce when she was just 22. The next time she returned to the U.S. was nearly five years later, this time for herself to pursue her MBA, which is where I was lucky enough to meet her. I want to give a trigger warning that we do talk about domestic and sexual abuse, not in great detail, but I do want to preface that it does come up, so please take care of yourselves. One thing that I really take away from this conversation with Madrula is the perspective that whatever you're going through, there's a future you that will look back and find great meaning in every experience. She has this way of honoring that 22-year-old version of herself that I think is so important it reminds me to give myself that same compassion and I hope you'll find the same for you today with that let's get into it
1: 2010 was the year I got married. Three months after that, I was back in India facing my divorce. I didn't question anything during those six months after it because I was, I had too many questions on, you know, in my head that I couldn't find answers to. So I didn't question anything. I didn't have the luxury of time or mental space to question anything more.
0: And you're, you're
1: 21. I was 21 at the time of my marriage, close to 22 when I got divorced Mm -hmm. yeah i didn't have the maturity also like at 22 not to say that i was immature but your thought doesn't have the depth that it has now you're still thinking along the lines of you know a 22 year old versus now where you've seen a significant portion of time like now when i think about you know the questions i had at 22 i sometimes wonder if i was just not so impatient about finding answers to them right then and there and i just was willing to wait I would have found answers to it less painfully, you know. Mm. At twenty two, you you're so you're so caught up like trying to figure out answers to things. You're you're like literally making a lot of mistakes down the line, and then you realize that okay, none of that is still giving you the answers you're looking for.
0: Well, and I want to just interject one thing because you're mm-hmm. like talking about you at twenty two, me at twenty two. I was finishing college, and I had just had an awesome, very. American college experience. I played field hockey and I was like, I had like some experience with boys, not much. And you had been through marriage and divorce. Yep. And that was like the only experience I had with a guy. I was thinking about, I was thinking about something that you always told me, like when times were rough, when we were in business school together, whether it was like me going through a breakup or whatever it is, you would always drop in this sentiment. I still think about you would be like, Catherine, you won't even recognize yourself in five years. And that's true. And I wonder how you think about that in the context of like where you were 10 years ago. I mean, what would that woman think of what you're up to today? Maybe even the you in the middle of the marriage and divorce or before it like so different, right? Yeah. Absolutely. I in,
1: in fact, it's funny you bring it up because I was actually contrasting that version of me
0: with this version, which is
1: in my which head. Which is
0: like just over a decade, like 12 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 12 years ago. I was
1: it was funny because this, this occurs to me every time I'm at like a fancy dinner in 2010 when I got married. Uh, at the time, my then husband, he was graduating from his MBA program at Emory um, in Atlanta. And and, and I had gone for his graduation ceremony. And they had asparagus as part of the meal that was being served. (laughs) And I had never seen asparagus before. (laughs) All hell had already broken loose. Like, hell it broke and loose a day after my marriage after I reached the US they had asparagus and green beans those you know those long green beans that I even now I don't think I know how to eat them but without like you know making a colossal mess out of it but they had this and I was vegetarian at the time so I couldn't eat anything else so I just piled asparagus and green beans onto my plate and I went to this table where there were like a whole bunch of MBA graduates. And I was looking at everyone else's plate to kind of see, okay, let's see how they eat such a long string bean, you know. So I was like wondering, okay, let me see how they eat. Because I was so scared of like, I just knew people here don't eat with their hands. So I was like waiting to see, okay, which utensil would they take? Like which utensil would they take to eat it? And nobody had it on their plate. So I was like, okay, I really don't know how to do this, right? So I'm going to do what feels right in my head which is taking the string bean by my hand and eating it and I really didn't think you know it mattered because it wasn't like I was sitting in the Buckingham Palace and wondering eating string beans right I'm Catherine I got the dirtiest look from my ex-husband and he pulled me aside and he said you know you're purposely doing this to embarrass me you're jealous of the fact that I have an MBA and you're you're doing this just to sabotage my image in front of people and and in my head, I was still figuring out, OK, how does he eat string beans? Like that that was the only question I had. In my head. So it's funny when I when I got us that version with what I am right now and because and why I mentioned this is because I ate beans again very recently at a client dinner in Texas. Again, had had those really long beans. And this time I was like so confident about like, you know, taking two beans in my hand and just eating it. And, and I didn't care if somebody were to come up to me, including the client or the partner and tell me, hey, that's not how you eat beans. I didn't care. And I couldn't have cared less. That's just like a small thing that, you know, occurs to me when I think of the Mridula 10 years ago versus yeah. now. I, I use my use my head now to ponder over larger issues rather than wondering, okay, how do I eat string beans? Back then, that was like the most provocative question that was running through my head. It's beautiful
0: what you remember. And what's always striked me about you is the like levity in what you're able to hold what you've been through and even finding today even humor in it because obviously it wasn't the case at the time, right? It wasn't, yeah. It absolutely wasn't. Back
1: then, but you know, it's funny. And I I, I swear, I mean this to be 100% truthful when I say it. It's funny, even back then, as I was, you know, getting yelled at for eating string beans with my hands, I knew even back then that there will come a day where I am going to repeat this in a similar setting, not care, and look back at how he reacted to me eating string beans with my hand and laugh. I knew that that day would come. I was my most authentic version of myself even back then. Of course the version I was back then was a little more incomplete than the version I am right now because I mean you go through life you you know you you get more in touch with yourself
0: but Yeah. It's a good point. You're not holding the 21-year-old Madrula to the standard of the 33-year-old Madrula. You're like able to see that your entire worldview was what it was then it's not what it is now there was there was so much fear of
1: judgment it judgment even now it exists. It's not like you know I'm insulated from judgment in any way now, but I think the propensity to care for that judgment now has gone down significantly like I couldn't care less if somebody you know looked at me as who I am right now and thought, okay she's you know, she's a goof, or looked at me and thought, okay, she's eating string beans with a hand back then, I think it mattered so much, because I was so, so scared of what people would think, because I did not know what I thought about myself at all. So the fear that somebody else would judge me before I had a chance to figure out who I
0: am, was keeping me from telling the truth back then. I I say this, with like so much gratitude than just thinking about what you've let me into. I remember it so vividly. It was probably, it was somewhere during the second year of business school when we were parked outside of the Goler house in Rochester, New York. And you shared with me the truth that you had been in an arranged marriage and had been divorced. And I don't know that you'd shared that with many people before like what was that journey for you to maybe taking the chance on owning it or putting it out there like there was clearly a shift for you yeah yeah absolutely there was a like yeah there was a massive shift from
1: from safeguarding it and hiding all you know signs of having been through that experience I went to completely showcasing whatever You know, it was like if I was upset about something, if I if I was, you know, and it used to be something that used to haunt me for a very long time. Like I used to spend hours, hours together after class, sometimes just sitting in Gola House and crying about what had happened because I used to have vivid recollections of what
0: had happened. And And it's probably worth sharing. You got married at 21. You came to the U.S. with him. You went back to India within three to six months. Right three to three months yeah and then it was what seven or eight years later before you came to the US again and right that next time you came in your late 20s and you were 28 or something was to pursue an MBA and so you're coming back for such a different reason right like you came as a is a 21 year old wife and then you're coming back almost a decade later to like invest in yourself and your career as a single woman. I mean, it's pretty wild to think about. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would have never imagined,
1: you know, that, that, that second time I come back to the States would have been on my own uh, would have been, like you said, an investment in myself. Uh, I I would never have imagined it. it. It's funny because I remember the first time um, I landed in JFK, I was like, okay, you know, this is my life now. I'm going to be someone's wife. I'm going to be here. I'm going to be a good wife. That was my goal back then. You know, I'm going to be a very understanding and good wife. And um, I I, I don't recall thinking, okay, what does this all, how does this all pan out for me? I, I didn't. And the second time I came back, and when I came to JFK, I went back to that same Dunkin' Donuts that we've talked about.
0: And say what happened the the first time. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, so the first time where we
1: where we were flying into um, into the US after marriage, after your wedding, after my wedding, yeah, um, we were together on the flight, and we had like a long flight. The second half of the flight was from Dubai to to, to New York, so it was a long flight. And if you if you slept through it. You in, in economy, you missed food, and they yeah. they're not nice enough to come. Yeah, we were in economy, so if if they, they don't come back and say, "Hey, you slept, so why don't you eat your meal now?" We just missed all three meals, and um, the flight landed in New York, and I was really hungry, and I. I kind of, like, he asked me, he said, you know, are you hungry? And I said, yeah, I am hungry because I've not eaten anything in, like, 12 hours. And it was funny because my my then-in-laws had even called him up and told him, she must be hungry, so please make sure you buy her something to oh, eat. Oh, so, like,
0: his parents are are managing him taking care of his w- new yeah. wife a little bit. Of, of me. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, it, even then, I, I remember, even then, I was wondering, like, why you know, it was sweet of them to think of it. But I was like, one thing,
0: why didn't... It why was sweet of them to, to, to check in on your, on your nutrition
1: <laughs> levels. On <laughs> my nutrition, yeah. <laughs> so we got off the flight and there was a Dunkin' Donuts and he said, okay, would you like a cup of coffee? And I said, yeah, a cup of coffee and maybe even like a small, you know, some sandwich or something, whatever works, you know, anything. And he's like, oh, okay. Um, and I... You know, I was reading with the bags and he went to Dunkin' and he comes back with a cup of coffee and a donut. So I was like, oh, okay. so what are you going to eat? And he looks at me and he's like, oh, no, this is for us to share. And I mean, like, I know portion sizes are large in America, but a coffee and a donut is not meant to be shared after starving for 12 hours. Like you would expect that thing to be your own. So I remember when I came back the second time, I went back to a Dunkin' Donuts this time, and I I was so adamant that I have only a Dunkin' Donut donut and a coffee by myself. Uh, so I had like the Boston cream. I still remember.
0: It's just like the green beans. You you find beautiful symbolism in your food. I mean, it's it's symbolic. I am going it is to live symbolic my life and, and have my own donut. Thank you very much. Yeah. Exactly. It
1: was like, you know, everything after coming back to the States for a short time, Catherine, it was about being doing things in vengeance, you know, mm. part of coming back to the States and coming on my own terms was also an act of vengeance. In many and like because- you
0: were not to call out, but to call out you were pursuing your MBA, which yeah. he had had exactly when you got were getting married that's interesting do you think him do you think him getting it like led to you getting it at all have you ever thought about that no no, separate not at all that was
1: obviously like
0: you were so influenced by you had your own career in india your mother's career all of that
1: yeah yeah i i knew everyone used to tell me at home that you know management is for you management is for you but As soon as I started the MBA, that's when I realized, oh my God, yeah, this is something I did. And this is something he never thought me capable of doing. Like he used to openly tell me things like, you know, you're not an MBA, something you would never understand. It requires brains. It requires, you know, a lot of fortitude and whatnot. And I, I always thought it was all that. And I still do think it's all that. But I never knew I had it in me to be all that until I actually got there that's the beauty of you know having gone through a bad experience it provides you with a before and after version of yourself mm. um which you 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 would never have had the opportunity to it's it's too bad that you can't photograph it you know like yeah. just, like literally compare it side by side the one that's the only sad part of it you're never you're not able to see both versions simultaneously but if mm. you have a good enough memory you will recall the before version that you were and contrast it in your memory with the version that you have become
0: mm, that's beautiful you come from just a different tradition of marriage and mm-hmm. relationship and in in your parents are an arranged marriage correct mm-hmm. yeah right. and so, yep and, and as a, like we've talked about it a little bit but i'm curious to just bring it up here like i was doing some reading earlier and like what I was able to kind of ground in is over 90% of marriages in India are arranged and over half of marriages worldwide, actually. And this I- is interesting. The divorce rate in India is like less than 1%. And, and interestingly enough in the US where it's, you know, what would you call it? A love marriage or, a, a, you know, um, <laughs> Um, the divorce rate is like 50%. There's something to take from both models. I mean, you've obviously been witness to your parents. And I mean, how does that all sit with you from where you are now? I think, I mean, at, at the risk of being judgmental, I, I would straight
1: up say the concept of an arranged marriage is flawed, at least in the way I saw it getting executed um, with me. Uh, I think it's flawed because... It's a decision made purely on economics. You are you are forced to view your potential husband or your potential wife from the standpoint of you know how well he can provide for you financially. And for the man, it's sometimes it's about that, or it's about um, what does she bring to the table? Like is she? It was a simple characteristics like oh how fair is she that gets judged how uh pretty is she how thin is she yeah it's almost like an economic transaction it's reduced to an economic transaction and then i think what gets what makes it worse is amidst all that business like you know tradition and mindset and economics you're looking to find love i think that is being ambitious and being for the lack of a better word idiotic which is what i was at 21 i saw all this economics unraveling in front of my eyes you
0: probably didn't know what to call it like you had you had feelings about it but you probably didn't know how to how to articulate what you were feeling how to articulate it yeah.
1: exactly i saw all this happening i saw you know, an inordinate amount of marketing going into, you know, making the other person think that I was right for uh, him and making me believe that he was right for me. I saw a lot of marketing, like marketing at its best, like they could teach marketing 101 at Simon's Caps. it was, (laughs) there was so much of, you know, of a hard sell there. I saw it all unraveling, but I just thought this was standard protocol in any marriage because I did not know better. But then as, as I kept seeing these things, I realized I am probably being, you know, I'm probably being stupid by looking for love amidst all this because I don't think that that there's any room for that when you're so. And and the same goes with the divorce rates. You know, a lot of people why we see the divorce rate being less than one percent sometimes in India with in an arranged marriage, uh, you know, sort of a setup is because again, when it comes to getting divorced, people are often very subjective about about viewing the decision to get divorced. It's also about, it's no longer about, okay, do I want to get out of this because I'm unhappy or do I want to get out of this, you know, like, do I want to stay in this because I'm happy? It's it's not black and white anymore. It's like, okay, I can get out of this, but let me weigh my opportunity cost. If I get out of this, do I have someone to provide for me or do I have someone to provide for me and my children? Or is there someone... Um, You know, does it look bad? How would society view me if I'm a divorcee? There are all those other subjective questions that go into the decision to get divorced when it should be a simple yes or no. Am I with this person for the right reasons or has this marriage just reached its inevitable end? And if it has, I need to be able to,
0: you know, say so and move on and get out. But that's one of the reasons why the divorce rates are low. And to your point, the article I was reading was like, okay, the divorce rate is low is the assumption that it's because marriages are happier. But in in the article was like explicating, it's not necessarily the correlation, but you bring up an interesting point. It's just such a contrast to like what's happening with modern relationships in like Western cultures to me is in marriages in India in arranged marriages, uh, like it said, 60% of married women typically don't work. And so is there even a feasible option to pivot my life away from this marriage? You know, certainly that, right. that must have some gravity to it. Absolutely. I think it starts off
1: the decision to get married is based on economics. The decision to stay in the marriage is also driven by economics. You know, financially, is does it make sense for me to separate from this person because I have gotten used to you know, depending on him for financial support. If I, if we get divorced now, that option is no longer there. That's that's another d- reason that drives people to think about, you know, staying in a marriage that's potentially like miserable, makes them miserable. That's one of the reasons that that they stay in it. Another aspect to it is also the society. You know, the the, the it is so. At least it used to be very unforgiving, and this is purely speaking from a divorced woman's perspective. I, I don't know how how it would have been for a man in uh, in India. I, I I would think it's equally judgmental, but perhaps not as harsh uh, as it would be on a woman. But um, Five seconds after your, after the news of you being divorced is, you know, out there, everyone looks at you as secondhand goods. That's it's sad to say that, but that's exactly how they view it. Uh, virginity is a priced possession. It's unfortunate, but they almost value you based on that, and 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 you run you run the risk of being ostracized, being criticized. And it's extrapolated into so many different contexts. People at work treat you differently because of it. And I've been privy to all. I've been privy to all of it because I saw how, you know, colleagues, people who did not know me at all but knew I was divorced, changed how they approached me. You know, a lot of guys think that you know, okay, she's divorced, she's vulnerable. Let's see how we can capitalize on it. It's it's very unfortunate. It's almost like they're vultures even at work, you know, there's the certain terms that, that um, get clubbed into that bucket of being a divorcee. Like if you're a divorcee, you're frustrated. If you're frustrated, you're naturally aggressive. Those are the terms that used to come with it. Like someone would call
0: you, you she, like she's frustrated? Yeah, it's, it's you know, they, they, they think you're sexually frustrated. That's, oh, that's sexually exactly Because I, I mean, I'm not,
1: yeah. I, or, you know, you're just, Personally not fulfilled. Like a lot of people used to say that not about me, but I I remember because I, I, again, like I never mentioned it. The news of me being divorced was not very widely known because I I only started, you know, talking about it much later.
0: Do you remember when it started to resonate for you? Like I'm, I'm a divorcee. What is your early memory of that? Everything happened so quickly, right? Twenty.
1: Twelve was when it started sinking in because that was so 2011 I, I technically was divorced like at least on the path to getting divorced in 2011 and, and it was clear to me that that's going to be the that's going to be the end result uh, we were separated and I knew where I'm, I'm going to be divorced I'm going to be a divorcee anytime soon uh, but it didn't sink in because I was living with family at the time in Bombay I went back to India and I was living in Bombay with my parents at the time. Um, So 2012 is when I decided, okay, I'm going to move to Bangalore. I'm going to move to Deloitte. I'm going to, you know, resume my work. And, and in 2012, that's when it started sinking in because I started living alone. As I got a little more involved in investing in myself, I started asking myself, okay, so who are you really? And, a large part of who i was was defined at the time by the fact that i am a woman who has gone through a particularly painful divorce at a very early age and therefore it's made me who i am so that was a part of my introduction almost uh, it felt very incomplete to avoid uh,
0: that portion of my life and you had and you were like in a, essentially in a new city on your own which is interesting because you you come back from intense divorce and intense marriage and you're with your family kind of in that bubble, not in that bubble, but you're kind of back in the thick of like everyone that knows everything that you've been through and they've kind of like gone through it. it or at least witnessed it. And obviously it's such a family matter in your world. And but then you like you make a decision to go to an entirely new geography, a new environment, and in that you kind of maybe get to decide how you show up and who you show up as, right? Right.
1: Yep. Exactly. I had the option even in 2012. I remember telling myself, I I, I can, you know, put up this act and pretend to be just another 26 year old, happy, go lucky, 26 year old with no problems, no emotional baggage. And, and I could have put up that act because I mean, if anything, I, I, you know, one of the things that you learn along the way is the ability to sort of mask your true emotions, mask your pain and, and put up a near perfect, uh, you know, outward image of yourself. I could have done that. But in 2012, I was like, I'm, I'm kind of tired of the charade. I want to sort of be my, what I am and see how many people I'll truly accept. And that was a time where I was also like trying to simplify my life. I was trying to really reduce my friend list and, you know, my acquaintance list and whatnot to the bare minimum that I really cared about. So I was like, if this is going to help, you know, the elimination process, so be it. Let's just be what I am and let's see what how that's perceived. And that's exactly how it happened. In 2012, I started ta- te- telling people a little more that, okay, this is who I am. I've, I've been, you know, when people said, oh, why did you leave uh, our external audit in 2010? Instead of telling them, I took, instead of giving them a vague story about, you know, oh, I left for personal circumstances or personal reasons. I thought, okay, it's time to like, you know, tell them what really happened. I got married, it didn't work out. I got back in three months and yeah, and now I'm back here. So, and, and that felt more, believable to me too you know so that was actually when I started embracing it I started speaking out about it
0: would people ask you like more about why it didn't work some out? did yeah oh yeah some people And would you did. be on- were you uh, honest then you know I think
1: that that's part of the other thing I, I was very honest about it but I would always speak about it like
0: a victim i would always
1: talk about it as i was a victim which you know, like my
0: first my first reaction to that is and you were but please please continue I was, yeah
1: i i was a victim i i definitely was but i i think i was i, I was eliminating um I, I seemed like a defeatist let me put it that way oh you know this happened and I, you know, this, this marriage completely crushed my spirit and killed me as a person. And that's who I am today. That was, that was the story I was putting out versus what I tell them now. I'm like, Hey, I was a victim, but here's what I did about it. And I complete the story, you know? So I think, um, that was, there, there were a lot of questions. Why didn't it
0: work out? You call on something that I think is really profound. It's like owning that, you were or are a victim and not like coming from a place of victim. Does that make sense? It's like, yes, I was that. And, and I'm not carrying that in a way that, yeah. Right. Like, yes, I was that. And I'm, I've freed myself from feeling it every day or something like that. Right. Exactly. I think, that's
1: the context you might want to give someone but you must also add to it the outcome of what that situation has brought about like for me the outcome was okay it propelled me to do pursue my career propelled me to do an mba it taught me it 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 put me in touch with strength i never knew i had it put me in touch with capabilities i never knew i had so if anything i'm not the victim anymore rather i'm someone who you know who 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 clearly was you know was almost like a chosen one to have experienced all this in order to unleash her potential it,
0: and as you t- and as you tell me it, that you in your in in her world view really wanted to be a wife and wanted to be a mother i did exactly i i so badly wanted to embrace
1: those roles in my in 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 my life i I I was never very, I, you know, when my when people used to ask my sister when she was growing up, what do you want to become? She she from the age of four and a half or five, she would say cardiothoracic surgeon. And when people <laughs> ask me what I wanted to become, yeah. I I remember I used to always want to be a wife. I wanted to be a wife. I wanted to be a mother. I picked out names for my children when I was twelve years old, Catherine. Wow. Like I had a list of eight girls' names. I didn't want to imagine a scenario in which I'd have boys, so I never picked out any boys' names, but I had like eight names for girls picked out by the time I was 12. That's how badly I wanted to, you know, take on that role in my life. So when that ended so abruptly and so disgracefully, for the lack of a better word, I felt like I was robbed of a chance to almost live this dream I had harbored since so many years, you know?
0: Yeah, and it happened like it was like that. I want to just like give a little space to whatever like about the story. It, it's I think it's important to preface that that three to six months of your life, like it's not your whole life. It's not your whole life and it's a part of your life where like you experience so much. And so it's interesting, like even just to the point of you dreamt of being this wife and this mother and as you've shared with me like you in the three months you were with him in the suburbs you were kind of playing that role I mean it wasn't the experience that you had dreamt of right is there anything you want to say around around that it wasn't yeah yeah um you know that was
1: I I was I was almost like a short order cook I was a maid um that it was a it was the most thankless job and the way I thought it would be, I always imagined it would be, you know, we celebrated Mother's Day. We said I saw my dad, you know, cheering my mom on through every milestone she achieved. Anything she cooked was eaten with such gusto at the dinner table. Even if as kids we complained, my dad would always appreciate what she did around the house. So I always imagined if I did everything right, I would get that similar appreciation and, you know, I would, I, I would. Be happy. I would never be taunted. I would. It would not be so painful, and and so it wouldn't be so. It wouldn't make you feel so discarded. I I, I think three months in that there, there was so much of abuse, and when when I say abuse, it was on so many levels. Like there was there was physical, there was emotional, there was sexual abuse. Every, you name it, it was all there. Elements of it were there in every day. It was too painful to. Um, to you know sort of imagine that that was what I that was what I signed up for inevitably thinking it was going to be a lot more um, it's going to be a lot more satisfying it's going to be a lot
0: more of a partnership it wasn't a partnership by any means was there any part of you that was like normalizing it is like oh this must be marriage or did did you in your in your gut you knew something was off i mean especially thinking about the example your parents had set being so different in the beginning i thought this was just growing pains it's something that
1: happens and it's going to fizzle out and you know the good stuff is going to is on its way though i ignored my gut feeling my gut feeling was telling me no this is not how it's supposed to be
0: your gut knew this is
1: your your my gut knew i i and, and that's one of the things i I have learned to follow my instinct now. I think as women we are given that instinct because it's 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 almost like a sixth sense, and we should not ignore it. I, I think we're so in tune with our emotions, we're so in touch with everything around us. There's so much intuitive intelligence in us. It's it's a crime to ignore that gut feeling that we have. So yeah, I knew something was wrong in my gut, but. I kept ignoring it thinking okay this is just a growing pain you know we're just newly married it's gonna settle in the first time i first time i got hit uh which was like 2 or 3 days after i reached the us that was when i realized yeah this isn't getting any better this is never gonna get better this is going to be what it is right now, probably get worse as 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 the days go by. And I have to make a decision right now as to whether, you know, I want to stay in this or whether I want to leave. And, and funnily enough, I knew those were my two choices, but I knew I was so scared to take that step in the direction of a divorce that I said, OK, I'm going to try to make my peace with this. And that's exactly what I did for the next three months until things got really bad. And then I said, no, enough is enough. I need to leave.
0: What happened that you you were able to leave?
1: So part of it was, um, part of it was the sexual abuse. I think that got to a point where it was making me so angry. Like I was, I felt violated. Um I I felt like there was that you know this this body that I took so much care care of like and I mean when I say care I mean I, like the small things like I put moisturizer every day you know as soon as I step out of the shower I put moisturizer on my hands and legs every day I have a routine with my cleansing toning and my you know it sounds ridiculous that I'm taking pride in these small things but I. I, I tend to small cuts and wounds so well not because I'm just a very nurturing person if it it's not just about me it's about anyone around me who went through it I take good care of them and then I suddenly found myself being beaten and being hurt and 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 then there you know there was a whole aspect of everything that happened in the bedroom um and 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 and, and two months into the marriage i i, I found myself pregnant and I thought, okay, that would change the tone in which I was being treated, but it didn't. The abuse continued. And that's when I realized, oh my God, this person doesn't care for me. I knew that a while ago, but now he doesn't even care for something that's half his.
0: Do you remember like sharing with him that you were expecting?
1: Oh yeah, I did. I remember very clearly telling him that, you know, I was pregnant and he said, we have a couple of options. Um, You know, you could, have the pill abortion or you could go for a surgical abortion. And I I was so surprised because for all the ways to react, I, I never imagined this would be his reaction. And that for me was when I realized, yeah, this is it. And at that point, I was like, I, I, I cannot, I don't want to bring a child into the world like this with him around. I, I can do this by myself. I don't need him around. I was very clear that and I, I, I had enough. I still have, and I always had enough love to, you know, give a give every give everyone in my life. So I was, I was very sure that I could do this single handedly. I, it didn't even occur to me that oh, you're going to potentially be a single mom. That that thought didn't occur to me. And even it, when it did, it didn't scare me, Catherine, because as a person, as one single person, I brought to the table much more than two of us put together would have um, but yeah, that was the tipping point in, um, uh, in the decision to get divorce.
0: And were you, when, when you had, were you talking to anyone in your life about it? No. Yeah.
1: I didn't for a while. I did not. It was only much later that when I got back to India that I, actually I talked about it with my parents uh, especially my mom because at that point i felt like you know it was very easy for people to misconstrue uh, the sequence of events it was almost like oh she got married young she wanted a very romantic marriage
0: oh as if it's like on, if it's like on you that you you wanted a romantic marriage and yeah, yeah
1: it's on me you know yeah. just it was very easy for people to misconstrue what were the reasons behind a 22-year-old choosing to get divorced? He almost thought that I had the wrong expectation of marriage, which a lot of people would have thought, given that oh, okay, she's only 22. There were always those things that okay, she may be too young. And then I came back to India and I said, no, you're so far off the point. Let's say you're so far from you know hitting the nail on the head that it's 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 literally funny at this point. I said, no, this is not it. Romantic is like a huge it's like a giant leap from what I'm asking for. What I'm asking for is just just some dignity and I'm I'm not getting that. And then at the risk of, you know, upsetting them, I had to talk about what and all had transpired in the marriage. I had to talk about the abuse, I had to talk about, you know, the neglect. I, I there were days I would not get not be able to eat anything which because i didn't have a car i didn't have i i did not have money i was not able to go and buy any groceries and he he would not buy any groceries either and i was starving there were days i was starving there was there was nothing i could eat uh, i was losing weight so badly um it was very difficult and that, when i told my parents about all that that's when they realized okay no it's not her idea of or expectations of a marriage that are skewed Uh, rather it is it's a fundamental issue with you know how things have been Um, but it's unfortunate again you know to that point it's unfortunate that even that a woman even has to go through this whole process of
0: almost seeking approval to like get out of of a dangerous situation
1: It's sad though because you know it's it's what 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 bothers me about the whole situation is the fact that when I when I especially when I was going to you know court when to get divorced in India I used to talk and meet with a bunch of women all of whom were way older than me I mean I was twenty two most people who saw me in court back then thought. I was, I looked like a kid, like, you know, 22, I really looked like a child captain. So most people thought I was there sitting in on my parents' divorce over child custody. They thought like I was sitting there for a child custody case where I was a child and my parents were getting divorced. When I, I still remember when I first went in front of the judge and she looked at me, she, she looked baffled that I was there for my own divorce. Through that ordeal, I got to meet with a lot of women in court, many of whom were going through a bad divorce. It's unfortunate how most of them were functioning, were doing this, taking that step to get divorced with so much resistance from their families. And and some of them had even more dire circumstances or gone through maybe maybe the same magnitude of abuse that I had gone through, but for a much longer time. Five, ten, we're talking five, ten years here. And they still had to deal with the fact that they their parents didn't approve it or their families or their society or the society around them didn't approve it and didn't didn't feel it was justified and they were coming to court with such a heavy heart almost feeling guilty for asking for for demanding their own dignity back there's one thing you know i would really hope for like i know arranged marriages will never go out of style in india But if there's something I really hope for, it is that this attitude towards, you know, having to justify yourself or having to justify your your demands or your asks. I really hope that goes away.
0: I remember as we talked about this probably last year and you kind of painting the picture of being in that courtroom and, you know, filing for your divorce and the judge thought that you were there for your parents' divorce you shared with me in that moment a part of you hoped that your husband showed up there was a
1: part of me that th- hoped he would come back and you know say okay I realized my mistake I'm going to change everything and we're going to be happily married again and I was so vulnerable at that point Catherine I might have even taken yeah. considered it you know considered going back um And I think that is a a testament to how horrible societal pressure can make a person feel like how miserable the society and the societal pressure can, you know, can make a person feel because can you imagine if I was at the point after everything I've told you about what had transpired in those three Mm -hmm. months of marriage, I was at a point where I was willing to take someone so abusive and so horrible back. Just because the alternative was too harsh, and and not harsh in itself by virtue of just being painful as any divorces, but it, the alternative was harsh because it, it doesn't end with the divorce. It it, it doesn't. It's nowhere. Be, that's merely the start
0: of what I would call a series of painful events. One thing that like I've so enjoyed you sharing with me is you kind of like coming to dating for the first time like for the most part in your thirties, right? What was that like (laughs) for you, like figuring out how to, and in your own way, opening yourself up to, to love and like your inner relationship now, which is so wonderful, but you, you always had to me such a levity with like experimenting with it. I mean, what do you, what do you want to say about all of that? I think I was always curious about, you
1: know, Dating and meeting someone very organically, and sort of just letting that relationship go forward without any, you know, without architecting how it should, like just it just goes. So, in 2017, when I moved to LA, I was like, okay, let's give this a shot and let's see if you know how dating is
0: gonna look, what dating is gonna look like. Will you share just like, like pick one great dating story, and maybe it's the bike guy, maybe it's something else, but I just we need to like as we come to an end sh- soon like g- give us give us a good one okay i think i i think i definitely choose the
1: the fitness okay we, we'll call him the fitness freak <laughs> so he was the guy i dated every date was like a was almost like a workout like okay f- the third date was swimming the fourth date was um, was sailing and the fifth date was where i think i called it all off because i was like i'm not i'm done uh we were supposed to go to the beach and this was our fourth uh-huh. of july i remember because it was like the hottest day la had a power cut that had lasted 48 hours there was no electricity and because there was no electricity there was no water I had not drank a drop of water and somehow this guy says, we were supposed to go to Venice Beach or something. And I I said, let's just Uber it because that would be the only sensible thing to do on such a hot day. He's like, no, no, let's bike. We have to bike. And I was like, what? Like, seriously? And he rented bikes out. And oh my God, Catherine, we biked from downtown LA to Venice Beach and I swear to God, I, I I had to like fight every natural instinct to not push him into like moving traffic because he was irritating the crap out of me. Every two minutes, he's like, oh, you can pedal faster. Oh, you should be doing this a lot better. You should be, you know, you come from India. You have done this before and you should be. his assumption than- is
0: because you're from India, you sh- you should be a good biker.
1: Yeah, because a lot of Indians uh, like use their bicycles growing up. And I told yeah, them yeah. I had like a bicycle growing up. But I'm like, it's uphill. You're lucky I'm not like wheezing my yeah. lungs out. Uh, I'm I'm trying my level best to match up here. Just give cut me some slack. And it was like a long, long bike ride. And at some point, I I think I, I'm done. I want to eat a donut. And I'm done with this relationship. <laughs> so I'm going to stop. He'll go on. So I stopped for donuts. And then. He went on and I thought, okay, you know, that I shouldn't break up with him on a text. So let me wait till I can finish my donut and, you know, take the bike. Did
0: he know that you stopped?
1: No, he didn't because he had started cycling so far <laughs> ahead of me. There was no way I could have caught up with him. And our cell phones were low on charge because we didn't have electricity to charge. So you phones. just peeled off. So I was like trying to conserve my battery. Just... Yeah, I just, yeah, I just, yeah, I just stopped. And he
0: was still on the biking
1: date. Yeah, he was still on... Yeah, at that point, it was a one-man date. So. You were behind him. Yeah. <laughs> I think he got was behind him. And I, I tried to tell him. I was, like, calling out to him and telling him...
0: Your you know? first memoir is something about, like, feminist donut eating, but... Because everything has to do with you, like... <laughs> like... Green beans and donuts. Yeah. Some food, right? <laughs> yeah. So...
1: I did have a chance to like stop him and tell him that, you know, I'm eating a donut. And then I think he cycled maybe like a couple of miles ahead of me. So I was like, okay, it's fine. You know, I'll get there eventually. So when I meet him, I'll tell him that I had a good donut. And hey, this is by the way, this is over. (laughs) But um, I reached there like a few minutes later. And I I have to add this because this really throws some context into who I am. I carried an extra donut even for him while cycling to Venice Beach after eating my donut. I had an extra one for him. Yeah, exactly. And I thought that might also cushion the blow after I call off this relationship. (laughs) (laughs) I reached where with a donut and he loses it. He's like, you stop for donuts. Do you know how unhealthy oh that food is for you? Um, You don't, you should, you should not be eating these things. And, and somehow everything came back to the fact that I was Indian. Oh, you're from India. You don't even, you know, you all have such good food. Kichidi is there. Why did you have to eat this? And I lost it at that point. I was like, you know what? I'm not going to give you the donut. And this is over. (laughs) But yeah, that was like one of my earliest dating experiences after moving to LA. There were a lot of others. Some were good. Some were miserable. But man, I'm so glad I went through it. Because, you know, if if I have to sum up all the good and the bad experiences of all the dates that I've been in and compare it to that three months of being married, I would still say the marriage was like a million times worse. For me, everything that happened after the marriage in terms of, you know, my dating life was just, was, it's, it's, most people would describe their dating life as painful, but for me, it was so liberating.
0: I remember you saying to me, and and I'll, I'll never forget it, like, something about the sentiment that's like, a little bit everything happens for a reason, a little bit like, look at how strong you are because of what you went through, and I remember you saying, Yeah. And maybe I don't, I don't need to be this strong. Maybe like, maybe I don't need to be living the impact of being abused. I'd rather have not been abused. Right. Exactly.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, there are moments where I feel like, you know, all this is great if I need the strength, having gone through all this is great. If I need the strength to face the things that I faced but would I need the strength at all if I didn't have to face the things that I'm dealing with right now? And the only the answer is yes. I, I, I sometimes wonder if I ever really needed to come to terms with this level of strength. What if life was picture perfect? You know, I never had to deal with all these other problems. I never had to deal with the abuse, the trauma, whatnot. In that case, I wouldn't i wouldn't need the strength right i, I would just be another ordinary right. human being and what if i wanted to just be that but then again i also think about the flip side and i'm like no one no one deserves what what i went through like the reality is nobody deserves it even people who again people who have who we would call bad people or you know awful people don't deserve to go through the things that I described having gone through. But um, so then again, you know, it's like God has to pick Mm. somebody or the universe has to pick someone to go through it. So what may, one of the things my mother used to always ask me was, what makes you think you're so special that you could have avoided this and somebody else could have gone through this? And that was actually a very valid question because she said, what makes you think you're so special that, you know, you could have, delegated this pain to somebody else and you should have escaped it what like she actually told me she said what if god came in front of you today and said okay you've got two minutes on the floor give me a reason as to why this shouldn't have happened to you and it should happen to someone else what would you say and that made me really think you know like yeah she's got a point it's not like oh you know the universe picked and chose me for a reason i'm not one of those people who believes that oh you know you were the chosen one because you know there's a big path for you and you have your journey i i don't believe much in that i don't believe in the opposite either that oh you this should have never happened to you you you're too good a human being that you should have you know avoided the pain i think the universe picks Mm. you at random it happens and how you deal with it, how you get out of it is completely on your own. There are no restrictions. The universe doesn't have a plan to, okay, no, she's going to go through this and then she's going to do her MBA. No, that's mm-hmm. completely on you. Because if I think back on, on how I reached where I reached, there was an equal chance I could have ended up in another arranged mm-hmm. marriage in India and settled down there. As much as there was a chance of me coming here and figuring out my life. So, um, yeah, um, uh, there's a part of me that always feels like I don't want the strength because all the strength, the only reason it's there, the only reason that I have the strength is so that I can deal with the pain. But I don't want the pain or the strength. But then again, I also think about it being like, is it fair if it's not my pain, it's somebody else's pain? And
0: is it fair to put it on someone else? I love that. Madrilla, it's, it's truthfully, like, I say that you're amused to me, but it, it's, it's obviously so much more than that. Like, um, being able to, like, be a part of you sharing this with the world. it it It's, it's like such a gift to me. So know how much I appreciate it. Thank you, Kathleen. And I, I always, as always, it's,
1: The pleasure is all mine because talking to you always makes me happy and being able to share this with you today or in the Gola parking lot has been very easy because you're such a good listener. So thank you for that.
0: Well, there you have it, folks. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation as much as I did having it. One of the things that I always take away from my time with Madrula is just honoring and noticing the paradox of being human and that trauma and pain can exist right alongside levity and joy and perspective. And I think our ability to hold both of those things simultaneously is so powerful Maybe I'll leave you with, what is something about your 22-year-old self that you can honor and hold close today? Maybe something they went through for you, the you you are right now. Thank you for joining me today on The Truth Is. I hope today's conversation has left you with a sense of strength and responsibility to trust your truth and tell your story. If you've enjoyed this conversation, hit the subscribe and follow button. You could write me a review on Apple Podcasts or share it with a friend. You can connect with me on Instagram at thetruthis__podcast. Yes, that's a double underscore. New episodes drop every Friday wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. That's all for now. Yeah, maybe go have a donut. See you soon.